you see Chinese missionaries, that's them. And we were cautious on uh, putting their name out there. We're cautious on what's been said or posted because of uh, their privacy and the work that they're doing. So keep them lifted up in prayer. Mark chapter 16, let me get there in our Bible. Uh, what an exciting day, and we always need to remember we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection every day. We don't need to do it just on Easter Sunday, but we emphasize it on Easter Sunday. And it's an emphasis that we do every day. We're to remember that our Lord resurrected. So Mark chapter 16, let me read these eight verses. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to each other, who will roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Everybody say Peter. Isn't it interesting that the angel mentions to go and tell the disciples and then pinpoints Peter? Well, if you are taking notes even in your Bible, around the word Peter, put your name. In fact, we're going to read that. We're going to say instead of Peter, we're going to say your names. Okay, ready? Let me say that again. But go tell his disciples and Walter that he is going before to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You know, we just received uh, an invitation in the mail for a couple that we've known. In fact, pastor friends of ours, their daughter's getting married. But if I were to back up a little ways, um, the thing people do nowadays is they send you the save the date card. You ever notice that? That's the... That's the creative way they do it. Save the date. So when you get a date of an event or a wedding or um, a baby's party or whatever, you get that and you put that date in your calendar. And then all of a sudden, sometimes you sign up for certain emails. And you get emails about the shower. And you get emails where they are registered. And you get more emails where they're registered and where they're registered and where they're registered. Just to remind you that they're registered somewhere. And then you officially get the invitation. Well, we got a really creative invitation. You know, it used to be, I think, our wedding invitation had flowers and everything on it. Now, you know, the invitations that these young people come up with are pretty creative. But we got an invitation for a date that's upcoming. But what do you think it would be like if this couple was getting married and nobody showed up? Dun, 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 dun. I think we need to wait a little bit. Right? Can we start now? Yeah, there's nobody here. Wouldn't that be sad? Did you send the wrong save the date? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be what you figured out? We sent the wrong save the date. Maybe the invitation had the wrong date. And how many of us do that over a lot of things? We make sure we have the right date. We don't want to communicate 
But I don't think there's ever been a wedding that nobody showed up. Now, there's people that show up late to weddings, but there's never been a wedding nobody showed up. Well, here we read the story of the resurrection of Jesus, and nobody showed up to wait for him. For probably a year, we're going to look at this day, a good year he'd been dropping hints. He'd been dropping save the date, right? Save the date. Remember this date. He'd been dropping those hints. Nobody showed up. The only people that showed up wanted to embalm him. They weren't showing up to meet him. But here's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants us to meet him. Daily meet him. Christmas was the promise of the Messiah born. Easter is the proof that the Messiah had resurrected from the dead. And, and Jesus gets, he gets the raw deal. Here we're supposed to celebrate his birth and people create Santa. And reindeer and elves. And that's what people think Christmas is. And then Jesus gets the other bad deal when it's his resurrection day and somebody comes up with an Easter bunny that lays eggs. Let me tell you, if you ever had a bunny, they don't lay eggs. They lay pellet after pellet. They're nonstop pellet droppers. Okay? So when it's Jesus' birth, a lot of people think Santa. And when it's his resurrection, people think Easter. And that's not the story at all. Because Christmas was the promise of his birth, but Easter is the proof. And the garden tomb is famous today. Why? Because it's empty. It's empty. The empty tomb. So the three words that changed everything that we just read was, he is risen. That changed everything. You know, the New Testament has 27 books and the four Gospels tell us about the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. 21 of these books, or the letters, explain the meaning of Jesus in our lives. One is about the acts of this new church, and the other one is about prophecy, revelation. But all of these 27 books all speak that Jesus is alive and is risen from the dead. There's not one that's contrary. There's not anything else thrown in there. They all speak that he is alive and that he is risen from the dead. In fact, we read that verse, Mark 16, verse 6, where it says, and the angel said, he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. They were seeking the body of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here, but see the place where they laid him. Think about this. Of all the miracles that Jesus did, the most important one that he did was his resurrection. I love reading about walking on water, and I don't know if you've ever done this before, because I have. When I've been at a swimming pool all by myself, and I see a whole body of water, and I say, Lord, just between you and I, I would love to go across the deep end, and I'll just tippy-toe across, and I won't tell anybody, I won't do any video, I won't post, I'll just do it, it'll be a great miracle, and I try, and you know what happens? I'm down about nine feet. Boy, he walked on water, he fed thousands, he even raised the dead, but the resurrection is the most significant 
miracle that Jesus did. Only Jesus rose from the dead. There's never been another religious leader that has risen up that has done that. Only Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is risen. In fact, he said this in John 10, verse 17 and 18. He says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. Again, this charge I have received from my Father. My Father has given me the charge that I can lay my life down and I can raise it back up. But there's no resurrection without the death of Jesus. You know, and I thought about this, that God, although all of us have a DNA in us. How many of you have done the test? Anybody here who's done couple of you, okay, some of you, how many of you would never do, I would never give, my, my wife says, I don't want to find out that I'm not 100% Italian, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to find out, but we all have a DNA, we're all linked to others, but you have a spiritual DNA that's been placed in you by God, in fact, we could call it this, it's a spiritual hunger, a spiritual desire. We see this in play throughout the entire world. There are peoples of every nation that have some type of religion or have something that they worship, even if they only worship a leader or a person. There are listed over 10,000 religions around the world. And I was looking up one. There's even a Jedi church like Star Wars. Is that weird? A Jedi church. There's a hunger within every soul for a spiritual connection and a spiritual life. Some are so hungry that they'll do whatever, worship whatever, follow whatever to find that because there's that spiritual part, that DNA of us that's longing to connect to something. That's how God made us. So if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept and believe everything that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then there's nothing to worry about. But because he rose, that's why we look at and we believe everything that he said. You know, last summer, in fact, we'll pray at the end. Last summer I was in Sri Lanka. And I want to, in fact, let's pray right now. There was some church uh, bombings today. And I'd like us to pray for that nation. Lord, we stopped today. And we think of that nation, Sri Lanka. Lord, you know every detail. We don't know the facts and the figures, but we know that today, as people were celebrating Easter, that people are now broken, but you are there. Your presence is there. Your Holy Spirit is there. And Father, we pray that there are churches that mobilize and reach out and care for one another and love on families and deposit the peace that you can only give. We remember to pray over that nation in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Last summer I was in Sri Lanka. We were driving out from this camp and every car pulled out of the way because there was this huge Asian elephant all decked out in all of the gold and things you've probably seen before. 
And on the end of its trunk, it had a box, but it was flanked by Sri Lankan military with AK-47s. I didn't. I thought something was going down. You know, I, that was a little concerning. And so the, the gentleman that was driving us around, who was a pastor, he said, you know what's in that box? And I said, I have no idea. That's Buddha's tooth. Buddha's tooth is in that box? Yeah, and the elephant does a three-day journey up this road to a Buddhist temple that's up in the mountains. And they clear the roads, and it's flanked by military. And when they camp at night, the military camp around this elephant because it has Buddha's tooth. And then he started to laugh. And I said, well, what, what are you laughing about? I've seen the tooth. I think it's a monkey's tooth. <laughs> <laughs> but all of the ceremony for what people thought was a tooth of a leader. There's no tooth of Jesus. There's no robe of Jesus. There's no crown of thorns. There's no sandals. We don't even know what he really looks like. There's no description in the Bible of a six foot four Middle Eastern man with a beard. We don't see any description of him. And I think that's how God had it. That we don't worship some image that was created or passed down. We have faith because we worship him. But let's look at another scripture here in Matthew 27. Because the religious leaders were paying attention to some of the words of Jesus. Though they didn't believe this story at all. So I'm going to pick this up in Matthew 27 verse 62. This is right after the next day uh, after Jesus had died. It says, on the next day, that is the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, sir, we remember how that imposter, he's talking about Jesus, we remember how that imposter said while he was alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people that he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So he's called, they've called Jesus an imposter. What they thought of them stealing the body and taking it, they said the, this last fraud would be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Those, these religious leaders didn't believe the story. They didn't want a conspiracy theory on their hands. They wanted to make sure that the disciples didn't get in. But here's what we know. Jesus had been telling his disciples for over a year. And had been dropping hints and been using verbiage like, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the center of the earth three days and three nights. He talked about that he would be turned over and he would be killed. He kept talking about it, talking about it. Do you think they heard it? Do you think they listened? No. Of the thousands of people that Jesus personally connected with, either through feedings or healings or teachings, none of them were at the tomb. Even the people that he prayed and they were raised from the dead, they weren't waiting at the tomb. The disciples who had lived with Jesus now three and a half years, living with him, walking with him, being with him every moment of the day, they weren't camped out at the tomb. But the religious leaders remembered some of the words that he said and they decided to seal the tomb. They decided to post soldiers 
to protect that tomb, but none of the disciples did. See, I thought, as we read this, that the disciples would have had a countdown party. You know, nowadays when a movie comes out, you ever notice people camp out three, four week? Or you ever notice that? A week or two? Can you do that? You take is that how you tell your boss? Hey, I need to get a couple weeks off here. I, you know, I'm gonna go stand in line for the movie premiere. How would that go over at your work? Really? That's cool. Yeah, go for it. We'll take care of everything. Now, maybe you did that here before, and so we don't want to shame you or anything. But of any opportunity to do a premiere and to camp out and have a countdown clock and light, you know, candles and do whatever they would do, this is the time. But they weren't there. You can read in the scriptures, they were locked up in a room because they were afraid for the Jewish leaders. The only people that had a hint of anything going on were the ladies that bought. The Bible says they went on and bought the spices to embalm his body. They were only thinking the reason that they were going wasn't to see a resurrected Lord. It was to embalm his body. But we read this in Mark 16, 7, that the angel says this, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And that's why I always say, let's make this always so personal. Jesus mentions Peter, and I like to believe that he was also mentioning me. You see, Peter was one of the three closest disciples. I get a picture of a rough, scrappy fisherman guy. We know when we read the, the Gospels, he's always blurting out something first. He's the guy when they're praying, they're having a prayer meeting, and he's got a weapon on him. He's got a sword. He's the one that we refer to that he takes a swing and cuts off a guy. That's Peter, right? He's kind of the man's man. He's kind of probably like the Bear grills of today, right? He's just kind of that guy. I'll probably eat whatever and do whatever. That's Peter. And yet... He saw every miracle close up. He had that huddle with Jesus that he got to hear all of these stories. And, and even Jesus would expound it more to him. He saw his mother-in-law healed by a fever, but yet he denied ever knowing Jesus. Not one time. Not two times. But three times. In fact, Luke 22, the first part and the last part say this. After he denied the Lord three times, the Lord turned, this is Jesus, and looked at Peter. The end of that verse 62 says, and Peter, talking about here, he went out and he wept bitterly. The Lord caught eyes with him. It connected with Peter. He knew when he heard the rooster crow that he had denied his Lord. And he wept bitterly. You know, there's a verse, in fact, I wanted to read it, Psalm 137, 2. Uh, it's just a short sentence. It says, on the willows, there we hung our lyres. The word lyre is the word harp. Psalm 137 is the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon. And they can't sing their songs of Zion, of worship to the Lord. Instead... They've taken those elements of worship, those instruments, and they've hung them up in the willows. I like to think of it like this. They'd lost their song. There's no more song in their heart. 
They weren't able to sing about their Lord and what he had done. They were captives. So instead of playing at all, they took that instrument of worship and they hung it up in a tree because they couldn't use it. They lost their song. They lost hope. They were in agony. They were in frustration. And they just decided to hang it up. I get that picture with the disciples because they're locked in a room. They should have been camped out at the tomb. They should have been ready, but they were confused and discouraged and they didn't know what to do next. It seemed like everything they had poured their life into and left the last three and a half years was over. They were so close to Jesus, flesh to flesh, voice to voice but they missed his resurrection. All of the teachings and miracles and traveling and events, they had been eyewitnesses of seeing Jesus raise the dead to life, but they weren't there at the resurrection. You know, Acts 1-3 lets us know that there's about 10 times that we read through Acts that Jesus physically presented himself to the disciples and others for them to see. And as he told Thomas, he said, touch me, touch me, look at me, feel me. That was Jesus' part of going to them. But he wanted to make sure when the ladies were sent out, make sure that you stop and you tell Peter. I kind of make it more personal. Make sure that you stop and you get a hold of him. You look him eye to eye and you say, Bob, Jesus asked for you by name today. He wants to see you. That's how Jesus is. Regardless of if they're locked in a room and denied him, Jesus wanted to visit with them today. So how did Jesus respond when one of the disciples sold him out for 30 pieces of silver and then one hung himself? One of them denied him three times and the rest of them are in hiding. He goes to them. You know, they're locked up in a room. The Bible lets us know in John 20, they're locked up, and we read this in Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. There was no knock on the door. They're in talking, and he just shows up. What would that do to you? Oh, my goodness. He just shows up. Not a condemning word. Where have you guys been? I was waiting for you. I wanted to introduce you to a couple of the angels. They were waiting. I wanted you to you know, be a part of the earthquake. and to see. No, he didn't condemn them. What did he say? Peace to you. Peace to you. He wanted to show himself to them. This shows us that he can go anywhere at any time. He can reach anybody. There's not a locked door, not a locked prison cell, a locked car, a cabin up in the mountains, locked away. He can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere. There's no place on earth that he can't reach people. And that's what he wants for you and I today, to experience the risen Jesus, our Lord, personally. You know, it's interesting when we read this. The only people looking for him was looking for a body. They should have been looking for a risen Lord. You know, let's jump forward in our time. We know this. Jesus is coming back. 
but we need to be people in a church that are waiting for him. We should wake up and we should think about that. Not many of us woke up this morning wondering, I wonder if today's the day. But just like back then, we can't condemn and say, they should have been at the tomb. What were they doing? I would have been there. I would have had a tent. I would have cooked for everybody. No. Uh, but it's this. We should be watching for him today. Looking for him today. Our time is short. But here's what Jesus does. We read in Revelation chapter 3. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens, I'll come in. In fact, I like some of those translations. I'll come in and dine with him. I'll come in and have fellowship with him. I'll be with him. It, I would have thought that it would have read that if we're locked in, he's just going to show up and come on in and make his way. No, no, no. You know what he does now? It's that knock on the door of our hearts. He's knocking. He's knocking. I stand at that door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. I'll have fellowship, him and me. See, Jesus not only sent to save the date, but he sent a personal invitation to you. Didn't have a 55-cent stamp, but it's a personal invitation to you. Knocking on the door of your heart. That opportunity that he doesn't want to see anybody lose out in life. He wants them all to come to re repentance. He wants a relationship with everyone. But you know what he does? He knocks on the door of that heart. Bow your heads if you would with me today. If Jesus rose from the dead... And you have to accept everything that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then there's nothing to worry about. But here's what we know. He rose from the dead, presented himself 10 different times to over 500 people that he was alive. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, and if, if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this is his personal invitation to you. Because he wants to come into your heart and dine with you and be with you. That's what he's longing for. He made sure to come back to earth to be with his disciples, to encourage them and individually with Peter. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if this is a time to come back to him today, I want all of us to pray this prayer. But if you're doing this today, the Bible says that we're to do it from all of our heart. But let's all say this prayer. Repeat after me. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived and that he died for me. And that he died for me. But he arose from the dead. That he arose from the dead. I confess him. Him. As my Lord, as my Lord, and my Savior. And my Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. And bringing me into your family. And bringing me into your family. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In fact, every head bowed still. Let me let me close before we go into a time of worship with this. 
would we commit before the Lord that we're watching what he's doing? That when there's events around the world that take place, we know the Bible lets us know that our time is short. We don't know the time, but time is short. That we've got to be people about our Father's business. So Lord, here's our, my prayer today for us. Father, take these hearts sometimes that are like of stone and hard and selfish. And I thank you today that take my heart, turn it to flesh in the master's hand. Let me have eyes to see. Let me be those hands and feet of Jesus extended in this time. Let me be bold to give a word to somebody or to call or text or reach out to somebody when the Spirit puts it in my heart. Let me be part of your business, Father. Watching and waiting for your return. I won't be like the other disciples that were hiding out. I want to be waiting for you. Lord, give us those hearts today. Put that sensitivity in us that time is short and that people are your value. Every person has value in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer today of salvation for the first time or wanted to rededicate your life, a couple things you can do. Come let us pray for you at the end of service or there's, I believe there's a card in every other seat. Take that out and write your name and give us a contact and check a box. So important because that's what this day is all about. It's new life in him. Well, stand with me. We're going to close.